Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Blackwood, Executive Pastor at Calvary Church. We hope you'll find something every week that inspires and encourages you in your faith. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you'll never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. I'm so excited about this week. Got kids going to, you heard it all. The kids going to camp, the students going to camp and, and God doing some great things. It's, it's summer, right? And so we've got a lot of people that are, that are traveling. Just remember the team that's right now in South Africa, Pastor Tom and leading that team there and also Costa Rica as well. Um, so we've got teams all over and then Ryan is, uh, is overseas as well. So we got one of our students. So, wow, that's just really, um, it's really exciting. So just be in prayer for them that God would give them just significant ministry and we'll anticipate some amazing testimonies on the backside of that. God's doing some great things. Well, hey, today is it. It's the finale, right? Um, you, you guys know that those shows that you... Um, uh, kind of binge watch or you like are hooked on for us and our family. The survivor finale is like a national holiday, right? So we rush home after Wednesday night and watch it, you know, all this stuff. I don't know what your shows are, but the finales are things that you're like, oh, and it, you know, it, it's the, the culmination. Well, we've been going through this series on the book of Acts for several months now, and uh, we're wrapping up today in Acts chapter 28. And the cool thing about Acts, however, is that it's not really the finale that the story continues, thus the name, and uh, we're going to see that today. But uh, there's a statement that I was just kind of processing through this week about us here, even at Calvary and, and in the church as a whole, that we were living in the sequel. Like, we, we are the, the ellipsis at the end of the to be continued, right? Um, if any of you have texted me back and forth, I'm the king of the, do you say that, ellipsi or ellipsis? I don't know. The three dots, right? That's, I, I, because there's always, I, I can't say enough in the text, so I always put three dots. I do it all the time, right? And so that's just it. But we are living right now in the sequel, the dot, dot, dot to be continued of the book of Acts. So I was thinking through that, that sequel word and I just kind of got curious a little bit and said, I wonder what the, the best sequels of movies are, right? Have you ever thought about that? You guys had those movies that you've watched and like the sequel never matches up to the original, right? There's very rare times that the sequel is actually better. So I just did a little search a little bit and I test Kim about this this past week and she's in severe disagreement with this list or whatever. Because, uh, but on one of the websites, it says, uh, I just typed in, what are the top sequels of all time? And this is just based on like ratings, like viewer, like how people perceive them. Um, in this one particular list on this website, number five, Toy Story 3. Now, the fact that it's three says like they got more, Toy Story 3. Number four, here's some of us that are, have a little bit more experience in the room. Goldfinger 007, one of the James Bond. It's like that was one of the sequels. There, how many sequels are there to James Bond? Like he will never die, right? He just never will. So that's one. number three. It's called Three Colors. I've never even heard of them. It's a French movie, whatever. Um, so we're gonna skip that, right? Um, number two best sequel, Toy Story Two. Right? I see a couple of grandmas and grandpas nodding their heads like, yeah, that was actually good. I don't want grandkids to think it was, whatever, because we'll see it again for the seven millionth time, whatever. Number one, I don't even recognize, I mean, whatever. Paddington 2, it said, was the best sequel there. 
I disagree heartily. But what on that list there, uh, number nine on that list was Toy Story number four. So I think there's deep theological truth that says Toy Story is one of the best movies, whatever. I'm teasing a little bit. Another list that I saw here was the top grossing, in other words, the money that it made, sequels of all time. Number one, Avengers Endgame. Number two, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Okay. Uh, Number three, Avengers Affinity War. Number four, Spider-Man, No Way Home. And number five, my kids would affirm this, Jurassic World, okay? And I was watching or looking at all these lists, and one of the things that struck me is that all, if you look at five and five, all 10 of these are sequels based upon fantasy or things that really would never never happen. Some of you are like, oh no, Jurassic World, that's totally, po- yeah, no, come on. Okay, so it's like these things, Goldfinger, 007, right? The dude's going to die eventually, right? So it's all based on fantasy. The, the beauty of this story in Acts, as I try to um, connect this here into to the scripture, is that this sequel that we are living in, in this book of Acts, it's, it's not fantasy, like it, it is, it is what God has called us to live in. In fact, the very last verse of the book of Acts gives us an indication that we are living in the to be continued. Acts chapter 28, verse 31 is where we're going to be. And as we go there today, I'm just going to encourage you, the little cards on the seat pockets in front of you, if you don't have any place to take a note on, those little orange cards, I think they say notes at the top. I just want to encourage you, it's a little bit different message today. We're going to do some assessment of ourselves and we're going to have seven different points. You say, oh my goodness, I'm looking at the clock. It's going to be really fast. Seven different points as we look back through the book of Acts, and I want you just to, in, um, maybe just for yourself, just nobody's going to pull them in, and you know we're not going to grade these or anything, but assess where you are at personally in these different points, and so it'll be kind of interesting for us to do that. But if you remember, let me set up Acts chapter twenty-eight, verse thirty-one. If you remember last week in the the, the leading up into this, Paul has been through a. A, a trial, right? In fact, he's on the ship and the storms are raging and it's just, it's not looking very, very good. And so when we get to chapter eight, we're going to kind of get to this part where he, he, he's shipwrecked, right? And the first part of Acts chapter 28, it talks through all the, the journey, but, and, and scripture uses this phrase shipwrecked. And as I begin to read this, I, I kind of have a little bit of uh, a little bit of pushback on the right. I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, but shipwrecked is, is an interesting statement when you look at what happened when he was shipwrecked. When I think shipwrecked, I think, now sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of it, right? Is anybody else? Like that's shipwrecked. No, when you see what Paul went through at Acts 28, he landed on what we now know as Malta, right? And they even say that he's Malta. And he was like, it was almost like he was shipwrecked, quote, in the Hamptons, right? Like he just shipwrecked on this luxurious island, right? And it's like they just came out and greeted him and put flowers on whatever. And, and that, the, the greeting there that when he landed in Malta, we'll see at the end of our message today that it was, it was, um, it was an interesting spot. In fact, Paul, there was probably some temptation to say, you know what, I'm good. I know God said to go to Rome and testify to Caesar and all this stuff, but I'm just going to hang out here in Malta. Like, this is awesome, right? I want to be shipwrecked in that type of place. So that's what happens in Acts chapter 28, but he leaves Malta. He goes to Rome. He finally ends up there. 
and he's, he's under house arrest, right? And, and he, he, it says that he's under a guard, but really it's just that he has private security, right? He's got security from the Jews who are trying to kill him still because of all the tension that, that he's caused in their world. And so Paul is in this moment where he is, yes, under house arrest, but, but God is using this difficult time to get him to a point of continuing his ministry. And we get to Acts chapter 28, verse 31. And we see from this statement that there's evidently some things that have happened in Paul's life that provide, and the phrase that we're gonna use today is this fuel for the future. It's what God has done in and through Paul's life to compel, not just him, but we in the to be continued to have full fuel for the future. Acts chapter 28, verse 31, last verse of the book says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What an incredible statement. After all that Paul has gone through, after all that Peter and John and Stephen and the disciples and having been, some of them been martyred and all this stuff, that at the end of this book, Luke, when he's writing, he's beginning to see that this to be continued is really powerful. And he says that Paul preached with all boldness and without hindrance. I believe Luke was saying it this way to give us some encouragement and to give us a little spurring along to say, I don't know about you, but I wanna live in that boldness and without hindrance mindset. Wouldn't it be great like if every day you just lived a life and nothing came in your way? Like you were driving down the interstate and cars just split, right? And you went right through. You're at the line at the grocery store and, and the express line that's supposed to be one to five items. The person has like 30 things in their cart. They just move out of the way and say, no, without hindrance, go ahead, right? If your kids just would say, mom, dad, can I do anything for you today to serve you? I don't want to be a hindrance to your day. I want it to be awesome, right? If all of these things in our lives would just be without hindrance, it would be fantastic. And my, my, my the supposition that I want you to kind of go with me on here uh, today is that possibly the lessons that we've learned from the book of Acts set us up to live a without hindrance type of life as it relates to the mission that God has given to us. Well, he said, that seems pretty pie in the sky. That seems pretty lofty. And I just know that there's a principle that, that applies to us and also applies to God and his word that, that past, past behavior can very often dictate future behavior, right? It does for us. Sometimes we, we change. I get it. And God's grace allows us to change. But, but past behavior can indicate future behavior, even more so in a God who does not change. Like he's constant, he is God. And so the principles in the book of Acts can lead us to have this without hindrance type of approach to life. The psalmist writes in Psalm 78, he says, I'll teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we've heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide them these truths from our children will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. So today, as we wrap up the book of Acts and look about how we can live this without hindrance type life, 
Um, we're going to look back at some of the things that we've learned through Acts, and I'm going to, it's going to be fast because there's seven points, and, uh, and, and oh, I just want you to assess. And you may write down the headers to these points, the headlines here, and just maybe, I don't know how you want to do it, you know, say uh, low, medium, high, or one through 10. How am I and what do I need to improve on in these areas of our lives? Number one, God's plan for you, for me, for Calvary, for the church, God's plan is fueled by, number one, his power. That would have been a great place for you to say amen. I know you're taking notes right now, so I get it. I, you're multitasking. But God's plan, we started off this entire series in the book of Acts based upon the, the, the truth, the realization that none of this is possible unless the Holy Spirit comes, unless what Jesus said he would do. Jesus said, I've got to go away so that the Spirit can come. And we see in the book of Acts that is exactly what has taken place. I'm going to try as best as possible throughout this message today to, to hold commentary because I believe that God's Word just wants to speak into your hearts. We're going to do a lot of scriptures, so you may just want to put the references down here to go back and look. Acts chapter 1 talks about this um, idea that God's plan is fueled by his power. Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was Jesus himself saying, hey, the plans I have for you are only possible if you have this power. And that's never changed. For us today, the Holy Spirit is that person, that person of the, the Godhead, we call, that, that, that draws us to the part of salvation. And when you are saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. But there is something different that happens. There is what we call a subsequent act of the Spirit in our lives that happened in the disciples, and he doesn't change. So it continues to happen all through the book of Acts, where God induced this power upon people, not just to, 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 wow, look at me, I've got power. No, so that you will be my witnesses. In fact, it goes on to say what happened in that initial moment in Acts 2. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. You got to keep reading to understand the why behind. What was this? Was just so that we could just have this, this experience? No, there was a purpose to it. And it says in verse 5, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, they came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And it says that they made this comment, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. It's just like the psalmist said that, that they, it was being a witness to them about what the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, right? So this gift, this power that God gives to us is to be a witness to those that, that, that aren't in the way of faith, right? Those, those believers, those pre-believers, I would say, the ones that says, you know what? I, boy, I didn't quite know about this, but I heard some of them speaking in my language about the things 
things of God, and it resonated to me. It was a sign. The book of Acts says, and on through Paul's letters, says that this gift of tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a sign to the unbelievers. God's plan is fueled by his power. It was then, it is now. How are you doing in that element of your life? Number two, God's plan is fueled by his process. God's plan is fueled by his process. We see different things of God's process in Acts, again, in chapter one. What happened to to propel this church forward? Well, they all met together. We're doing that. And they were constantly united in prayer. There's a foundational piece of prayer that must be in any growing church. It just must be. In fact, this morning we were doing some just discussion on this. Do you know right now you can go on calvarytriad.church and, and, and be involved in multiple expressions of prayer groups that are right now active at Calvary Church. And we, if we want to be a part of the to be continued part of Acts, the process that God has laid out for us involves us being united together in prayer. It's never changed. The last part of Acts chapter two, it gives a, a great a model for a church. And, and for those of us at, at here at Calvary, let's assess where we at. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You valued the teaching of the word, right? We, we value that. To fellowship, we're involved in a small group. We don't just come and spectate. We don't just come and just receive. But we also understand that God has called us to be together in relationship. We have close friends, whether that's like, you know, just in, in different things here, but you have, 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 have that opportunity to grow together. That's, that's biblical. God says that's the, the way, the process that healthy things grow. To sharing in meals. Somebody say hallelujah to that. We do really good at that part, right? So I'm telling you what, you know, man, that's good. But it's, it's, it's biblical, and this is also not just the meal sitting down at Applebee's, right? It's, it's sharing the Lord's Supper together, and we do that. It's incredible. That's, that's one of the things that God set up from the beginning. Here it is again, and to prayer, and to prayer. What's the prayer quotient of your life right now? Assess. Write it down. Take some inventory. And then it says, the reason why this was important is that in verse 47, it says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The whole purpose that God has called us to be an example of, of his grace into this community is not just so that we could have an experience in here, but it's this right here, is that every day people would be being saved. That's the purpose. That's the whole reason why we do it. That's why those six uh, students, those six kiddos this past week at VBS that gave their lives to Jesus, that's the why. That's it. And for moms and dads and, and grandmas and grandpas in the room, it's so that we can experience life change. And we don't just have that moment where we accept Jesus, but then we follow and that transformation takes place in those areas of our lives that we have deeper need for growth. That's why I spent time earlier talking about tithing and giving and all that, because it's an area of growth and God wants to grow in us every area. Why is that important? Because that's the purpose, that's the process that God set up from the very beginning. God's plan is fueled by his power, his process, number three. It's fueled by our availability more than our ability. 
Well, aren't you glad for that, right? Don't you sometimes just think, God, I have nothing to offer you. Like, I, I don't do this well. I can't sing like, like Edgar and Melissa and Nicole and the team up here. I, don't, I, I just can't play the drums uh, like Thor does. And all that. I, I just have no ability. Pastor Tiffany gets up here, and, and I don't even like kids. Like, I can't even get over there or whatever. You know? and, and, and you say, oh, I see the smiling people and the, the, um, the, the doors. And I was like, I'm just not kind. I, mean, like, I have no ability whatsoever right? Trust me, we have places. We, we could, we've got places we could find for you to serve. But sometimes we kind of default to say, I've got nothing to offer. Do you know that this, this summer we've had a, a small group that happens on Wednesday night? And I've, it's, what's it called? Cafe and Connections, connect something about, the, but basically it's a relational type group in the cafe on Wednesday nights. And Carrie Strandberg is doing a great job facilitating that space. And, and it's just an easy lift. And, and all it is is just maybe for moms and dads that, um, that drop kids off for the kids in youth ministry on Wednesdays just to come and hang out and, and talk to other um, uh, Christ followers and just, just be in that relational connection. You say, well, I, don't, I, can't, I can't teach. Well, you know what? There's opportunities. It's more about our availability than our ability. In fact, Acts chapter six, it talks about this. Actually, I got ahead of myself. This was in Acts four. Um, What was interesting about this is that the the council, when they were um, um, interrogating Peter and John, they recognized this really wasn't about these guys' ability. It was about just that they were available. And it says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. That should give some of us in this room just a a great dose of hope, right? Peter and John, they made the book. Like they were key characters. And the council then looked at them and says, hey, they've got no special training. They just recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. When you come in contact with, with the risen Savior, he, he overcomes any lack of ability that you may think you have. It's just you saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to listen to you. And as you begin to lead me, then, then, then I can be used. It's more your availability than your ability. God's plan is also fueled by each of us playing our part. Each of us playing a part. You look through the book of Acts, this wasn't a one-man show. In fact, it goes through these transitions of, of men and leaders that, that it's like they take the baton and they have this window and then, then some of them, they, they, they pass away, they die or they're in prison and they hand the baton off and it's another. But each person plays their part. In fact, they, they came up against this situation where they, they were really struggling with everybody playing their part. And it says in Acts chapter six, it says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Boy, growth and, and change, it causes that. And I, in our own lives, in my life, it does as well. You just kind of, it just kind of rustles a little bit. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. There was this infighting happening, right? Growth. And there was infighting. Well, what did they do? So the 12 called the meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. 
Not that there was anything wrong with that. It was a good thing. It's just that they said, hey, there's other people that can do that. And it says, and so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer, there it is again, and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, I should have done these words, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Why is this significant? Because each person played their part. Each one plays their part when you have a, a, a life that is living in this without hindrance type thing. So what happened because of this? God's message continued to spread and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. I wanna be a part of the to be continued part of this sequel. And if we have that posture, then each person plays their part and as a result, things continue to grow and spread. All right, those have been kind of exciting. This next one's a little bit tough. Because God's plan is also fueled by pain with a purpose. We would be wrong if we thought that this idea of following Jesus was always just going to be, you know, uh, gumdrops and bubbles, right? It's not always just, a, you know, wow, this is incredible. No, sometimes there's, there's pain, but it always has a purpose, we see this in the book of Acts very um, significantly. You remember the last point where he talked about Stephen was one of those that has, was, was um, set aside to do some of this work. And Stephen, it says he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And we see in this next piece of, of scripture how that Stephen went through some pretty tough times. Acts chapter seven says, then they put their hands over their ears as, as Stephen is, is witnessing. He said they put their hands over their ears and begin shouting, right? It's the ultimate, la, 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 I'm not listening to you, right? It's that. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. It's pain with a purpose. His accusers took off their coats, get this, took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. The same man who in Acts chapter 28, verse 31 says he preached without boldness or with boldness and without hindrance. Stephen's pain has a purpose here and we're gonna see how that plays out. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge him with this sin. And with that, he died. It's pain with a purpose. So now in the middle of this act of murder of Stephen, he puts this cloak, this, this cloak is put in front of this man named Saul who had also been persecuting and, and other Jews. In fact, he was famous for that. And we see this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill, kill the Lord's followers. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then later on it says, so Ananias went and found Saul he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, 
The scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. This Saul becomes Paul. And it says that Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Pain, Stephen's pain, purpose here. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus, they could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. God's plan is fueled by pain with a purpose. Are you recognizing the purpose in the pain that you're walking through right now in your life? Are you mad at God for the pain? I understand it. God can handle that, but don't get too discouraged because there's always purpose that comes along with your pain when you follow Jesus. In fact, God's plan is fueled by this. Two more. God's plan is fueled by, this is an an interesting kind of an irony in the two phrases, the multitudes and me. We're going to go to Acts chapter 15. There's this thing called the Jerusalem Council, and the Jews were really concerned that this gospel was being shared with Gentiles as well. They felt like they had a corner on the market on this grace and this this teaching, and this, this, um, this expansion of it caused them tension. So in Acts 15, there's this council, the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood to address them. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe we're all saved in the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm glad for that still today in this day in our church that, that we are all saved by the undeserved grace of Jesus. But what was happening here is there was this expansion. God's plan was being fueled by the expansion to the multitudes, but it did not take away from this uniqueness of the individual. In fact, it says this as it relates to Paul. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out. Don't be silent. Here it is, personal for I am with you. I am with you. And no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city. Many people, here's me and the multitudes, many people in this city belong, belong to me. I want you to, to kind of hear something that, that is kind of this, this irony of this truth. That God wants every person on the planet, they are his kids, he wants everybody to come to repentance. And he has a big, like big macro view of his family, right? 
But scripture also says that he knows the very hairs of your head, right? That he also, that a very sparrow doesn't fall that he doesn't know. And there's this beautiful, I say it this way, there's this beautiful harmony of God caring deeply about you and your purpose uniquely and having that same level of passion for everyone. That's difficult for us to understand and yet God does it. He says, I and my plan, it's fueled by you grasping this truth that I care deeply about you personally, that I know you, I know the thoughts that you have, I know everything about you. And I have the same level of passion uniquely for individuals, for everybody. Lest we, like the Jewish leaders say, wow, this gospel, this message, boy, that was, that was really just for me. Isn't that great that God makes us feel that way? And yet that's not the way at all, right? It was, but it isn't, but it's for everybody. God's plan is fueled by a church, a group of people, excuse me, that would recognize the uniqueness of that call and the grace and the breadth of it as well. Boy, I want to be a part of a church that lives without hindrance, that grasps that truth. And we're seeing that. That's incredible. Last thing, and the worship team's going to come and help me conclude. We're going to sing that song, I Trust in God, uh, as kind of a response today at the end. You guys go ahead and come. Last thing, God's plan is fueled by, and here we come to Acts chapter 28. Remember, shipwrecked on the Hamptons, right? God's plan is fueled by extraordinary kindness. Scripture says that it's the goodness, the kindness of God. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. This gospel is ultimately a message of the goodness of God. Are there truths in this message that, that, that go to, to sharp places that knock off those rough edges and it doesn't feel really good and kind sometimes? Absolutely. But any parent in this room understands that as, as parents, we, we want what's best for our kids, and, but, but they don't always see it that way, right? In the same way, our Heavenly Father, he, he has this kindness that says, I know what's best for you. That's why I'm just trying to get you to understand that it's kind to speak the truth. It's kind to show generosity. It is that thing. And you can manage that. We say it here at Calvary all the time that we will manage the tension between speaking the truth and being loving. And you can do both. You do not have to substitute or or negate one for the other. You can do both. Why? Because I understand in God's word and acts, it shows that Paul and this message of to be continued was continued by extraordinary kindness. Acts chapter 28, verse one, it says, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. They were just like hospitality driven. They were there. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official. He's like the governor of the island, right? He's the leader. He welcomed us, treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, his father was ill with fever and dysentery, and Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, extraordinary kindness. And when the time came to sell, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. 
There's one commentary I was reading. This is an interesting dynamic. And, and there's, there's a school of thought that this, this healing of the people in this area, it could have been very likely that it wasn't necessarily this demonstrative, miraculous, supernatural healing. It could have been. But the word that it used for heal is, is more of a, a medical type of an outreach. And if Luke, the physician who's writing this, and we know that he was with them on this journey, could have been there in that place, it could have just as easily been this moment that this kind that was being shown to Paul and the shipwrecked people is also being reciprocated and says, hey, you know what? We're going to take care of you too. Why is this significant? Because at the end of this story of the book of Acts, the fuel that continues this, this, this journey that Paul has to go to Rome and to be a witness there in Rome is fueled by extraordinary kindness. After all the struggles and just trials that he's, in fact, on Malta, this crazy story, you need to read it. They're, they're building this fire and Paul tries to help out. The snake latches onto his wrist, right? And they think, oh, he's going to die. How crazy. You know, you survived the shipwreck and now you're going to die by a snake bite. Truly, he was a criminal. He's a crook. Well, Paul doesn't die and they flip immediately. They say, wow, he didn't die. He must be a god, right? So they're just all over the map. They didn't know what to think but it was in this moment of them serving each other. I wanna be a part of a church, and I know you do too, that goes forward with boldness and without hindrance. That just is no, there's nothing that can stand in the way. And I know that church is marked by his power. That church is marked by the process of prayer and meeting together. It's marked by everybody playing their part, by people that recognize it's my availability and not just not my ability. It's marked by those people that understand there is pain with a purpose. It's marked by people that understand it's for everybody and it's for me. And it's marked by a church that has extraordinary kindness. And we will be that church as we see the story continuing in our lives. Why don't you stand with me all over this room? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is true. And God, as we've gone through this, this book of Acts, God, it, it's, it's powerful. It's, it's impacting in our lives. We understand that you have a plan for us and your church. And God, as we just proclaim the words of the song that we trust you, I pray that you would allow us once again to understand that this story continues in me you and everybody in this room and in your church. God, we trust you to continue that in our lives. Team, lead us in that song as a declaration of our faith today.